My name is Michael Shikitano, and this is Right Here, Right Now, a podcast to inspire the learner inside each of us. In a world that is full of so much information, we will help find and package that information so that you can use it in your lives every day in practical ways. And in each episode, we will remind you of the importance of being present and mindful of your daily thoughts, actions, and interactions. It is truly the most vital step to learning and growth, being mindful and present right here, right now, to take on life's challenges and turn them into life's lessons. So come on this venture with us, a new beginning, a new journey that starts right here, right now. Welcome back, people. I am Michael Shikitano, your host of Right Here, Right Now, the new podcast that allows each of us to embrace the challenges and obstacles on our journey of learning and growth, of being mindfully present in each of our moments of life, the mindful presence that allows us to be aware of and overcome the challenges we will all face. And sometimes we face those challenges before they materialize. Sometimes those obstacles appear much larger than they truly are. And sometimes the challenges are part of a story we tell ourselves, a fictional story. And maybe we stop and pause and take a closer look. The obstacle, the challenge is actually this thing we call fear. And today, as we come to the season of Halloween, where we look for things that might scare us in a fun and transient way, we will cozy up with the made-up things that instill a fear within us, a fear that we battle with a little too often, perhaps needlessly fighting these fears. And today we'll take excerpts from a Stoic philosopher, Seneca, who wrote many pieces on philosophy, many in the form of letters. This letter is on groundless fears. And it was written to a friend of his, Lucilius. And his letter begins with this. There are more things likely to frighten us than there are to crush us. We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. These words seem simple to understand, to make sense out of. But to live and breathe in this virtue of courage so as not to let that which cannot harm us cause us despair, loneliness, and fear? Well, today, people, let's examine these words more closely, and let's see how we can turn these words into insights to live by, actions to live a more fulfilled life in reality, and take more from the Stoic Seneca in this beautiful letter. The message is that we must not worry about the uncertainty of our future, right? We've heard that so many times before, whether tomorrow, next week, or some made-up timeline in our minds that bad things will come. We know bad things will come, but we often use a bit of hyperbole when we think about those fears or those things that are going to come upon us. The things that can truly cause us harm are far less likely to occur than what we imagine, what we conjure up, what we wish for even. What we wish for? 
Well, perhaps we have to wonder, at least begin with some curiosity here. Why else would we worry and make up the things that will likely not ever come to be? Seneca, in his letter, goes on to advise his friend not to be unhappy before the crisis comes, since it may be that the dangers before which you paled as if they were threatening you will never, never come upon you. They certainly have not yet come. He's pointing out that of the many times that we dream up the unimaginable things that we come to fear, how often do they actually come true? How often do we go back and think, hey, that story I told myself, that never happened. We never try to go back and convince ourselves. How often do we experience the ill-fated fears that we devise? How often do we keep score with the fears we imagine versus the far less severe realities bestowed upon us? I'd like to say that reality is winning. If we're paying attention, we give far too much power to the made-up world in our minds, right? Reality is winning, but we self-sabotage. Reality is winning, but we need a scapegoat. Reality is winning, but we need the comfort in the familiar. The habitual patterns of fear, it creates a sense of comfort in that familiar feeling. Let's see how we can clear our minds of the hollow way of making the world a place we'd rather not be in. And Seneca continues, accordingly, some things torment us more than they ought. Some torment us before they ought. And some torment us when they ought not torment us at all. We are in the habit of exaggerating or imagining or anticipating sorrow. And he writes this beautifully. So we're tormenting ourselves here, he says, making the small things big and jumping ahead to experience the torment before we must, if ever we must be tormented. And we go one even better, which in this passage, this letter, Seneca does not really discuss, but what we tend to do is we ruminate and we replay and go over in our minds the things that should be left behind. And it continues the torment when the things that do not go as expected, right? Even when the experience that worried us never occurs and our fear-driven, imagined doomsday scenario has not come true. So we look back at things that maybe could have gone better and we're looking ahead to doomsday that may never come. We really need to, it's funny, right? It's, it's how our minds work when we're not in the present moment, when we are not mindful of how this moment is all that we have, all that we are guaranteed is this moment. And this moment's truest experience will fill us with the most justified emotion that our body is ready for because we're not imagining the worst or hoping for the best even, that we just embody this moment with our open minds and open hearts. And Seneca continues, we shall consider later whether these evils, those imagined and contrived by our minds, 
derive their power from their own strength or from our own weakness. Think about that, right? We turn the molehill into the mountain. We make these things insurmountable in our brain, and it makes us smaller and less able to tolerate these made-up fears. And then we succumb to this cycle of mindless fear-mongering. It becomes a habit. We expect that we must fear something. We go out looking for things to fear. And if we look hard enough, we might just find it. Think of it as sort of a cognitive bias that we see and experience what we expect to see and experience. And then Seneca really hits us with some profound stuff here. He basically says that fear is tormenting us. But what would we consider to be the opposite of fear, the antidote that we might be looking for? Perhaps you would consider it to be hope, right? We sometimes hear that that dichotomy, fear and hope. Well, let's hear what he has to say about hope and this balance when it comes to our contrived notion of what our worlds have in store for us. And I alluded this to this a little earlier. When we're to combat the urge to formulate the worst case scenario or hatch the ideal story of our future with a mindfully present approach, we should steer clear of the fear as much as the hope. Let's hear what he has to say. But life is not worth living, and there is no limit to our sorrows if we indulge our fears to the greatest possible extent. In this matter, let prudence help you and contemn with a resolute spirit even when it is in plain sight. If you cannot do this, counter one weakness with another and temper your fear with hope. There is nothing so certain among these objects of fear that is not more certain still that things we dread sink into nothing and that things we hope for mock us. Wow, right? So what he's saying is if you must fabricate a reality for yourself, do so with a positive spirit, what he calls hope. And yet he demands of us that we still understand that this is just as fruitless, just as irrational. It mocks us having hope. But it's the lesser of the two evils, I think, is what he's pointing out. Pema Chodron spoke of this so eloquently in her book, too, When Things Fall Apart. And we're going to take some fascinating insights from her writing in future episodes. But I was blown away when I kept reading that we're to embrace this hopelessness so as not to be bridled with the expectations of how things will turn out for us, the good or the not so good. It is not a hopelessness of thinking we're all doomed with the level of apathy. It's just living without the need and what I think is a crushing sense of needing to have life turn out how we expect it or wish it or hope it will turn out. I think this will help alleviate the pressures we place on ourselves, the pressures that we feel from the world on us and from what we put on ourselves, that pressure. And Seneca sums up what we do to ourselves, that we are constantly, consistently seeking that which might put us in harm's way. Fear is too often a scapegoat, an easy excuse, the obstacle to the hard work 
that may not work out, right? And this is what he says. We let ourselves drift with every breeze. We are frightened at uncertainties, just as if they were certain. The slightest thing turns the scales and throws us forthwith into a panic, right? And that reminds us a little bit of just that the the obstacle is the way. It's another Stoic philosophy from from Marcus Aurelius, right? And and we let those obstacles pop up, and we then start telling ourselves these stories about what what else is going to go wrong, and we make things up, and we make things up, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and we we think that those are certainties that are going to be in our path, but we know those things will come, and we'll take them on when we encounter them. So what else can we do to manage fear? So I was reading Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art. He describes fear as as a resistance, a resistance that he describes as a surmountable obstacle that constantly beckons our attention away from those things that we were put here to do, to create. He tells us that fear is good. It's a good indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. He goes on. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. That struck a a real nerve with me. I was petrified of going out, buying a microphone and figuring all of this stuff out. I didn't read this book, The War of Art, until I was well into my journey here, but I just felt like I had to do it. And this creative outlet was incredible for me to grow and learn as a human being. And I could tell you reading that, it really was like, whoa, maybe that is what I was doing. It was really, it just such a a personal feeling that I felt reading that amazing book. And again, I'm going to turn to some more wisdom of one of my favorite authors, Brianna Wiest, in her book, 100 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think. And she tells us to recognize that there's a correlation between worry and creativity. It's the most basic aspect of human evolution. The more we fear something, the more creative we are in creating solutions to adapt to the alternative. See your fears as catalysts for bettering your life, not as you being condemned to suffering. Beautiful. And we know, with the help of this letter from Seneca and some insights tossed in from yours truly, topped off with the incredible work of some of the creative geniuses and authors helping all of us to unleash our creative genius, that our journey will have many obstacles. But maybe just focusing on those that must be overcome, those that actually exist, the not-so-made-up challenges will put us on the right path, at the right time, in the right place, and with the mindfully present approach that starts right here, right now. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate the followers. Please share this episode. Please rate this episode. It means a lot. I'd love to hear some feedback. Very excited as we continue on season two of Right Here, Right Now. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. 
Join us next time, people, on Right Here, Right Now. We continue with our special series, a mindfulness intention series of moments to help slow us all down. Something that was created to help as a practice that we can use to help bring ourselves back into all of the moments of our lives, paying attention, focusing, and being mindfully present so that we can really experience our life. Brought to you from a wonderfully creative mindset, I hope you use these intentions deliberately. This practice is designed as an immersion into how you can practice mindfulness and gain some insight into self-improvement. Next week's mindfulness intention is about how we can embrace the pain and suffering we know we will encounter. We will go in search of ways that we can approach the inevitable pain that may lead to suffering and how we all embrace our pain. Understand its utility even. Come to know its faculty in our lives. We will examine physical and non-physical pain how they differ, and how the suffering that may come with emotional pain will teach us something. If we're looking for its lessons, and if we look to take action and come out better, not in spite of the pain, but because of it. Taking a mindful approach to looking deeply within ourselves, this will help unleash the most reliable ways we can endure. And yes, even thrive when experiencing our pain and suffering. Next up on Right Here, Right Now. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time, right here, right now.